did it when I was your age too and walked away. <laughs> Thank God. How many times have you looked at someone and given them the advice, don't do this because I did it? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, it's kind of like, don't eat that. You know, don't jump there. Don't do this. But how many times have you given someone advice because you know it's bad to do that and they do it anyway? A lot, right? Oh, so many times. When we read the book of Ecclesiastes, this is a guy that's experienced bad things in life and he's saying, don't do it. Now, if you read the book of Proverbs, it's saying, do these things. I'm the advice giver. I'm telling you how to live your life. But Ecclesiastes, here we find this dude, and he's lived his entire life doing whatever he wants to find purpose and happiness, and he looks back on his life and says, it didn't work out, so don't do that. Now, it's up to us to take that advice or not. But we're going to look in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 this morning at how, about how he pursued false joy, and it ended up being meaningless. In fact, the phrase meaningless, meaningless, meaningless is echoed all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. It's better interpreted futility, futility, futility. It's not worth it. It has no purpose. It has no meaning. As I was driving around this week running errands, I don't know if you do this, I just, I, I don't know why, I guess it's because we're studying Ecclesiastes, I just kept, I rode around going, meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Y'all ever do that? So let's look at the text this morning. Let's understand what's going on. Reminding ourselves, he's saying, I've done these things. Don't do it. But also reminding ourselves that living under the sun, there's futility. But living under heaven, there's purpose. You follow that? Now we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 12. We're going to read it really fast because that's going to build context for what we read in chapter 2. We read it last week, starting in chapter 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. So his purpose and what he's prayed for, and we know this is King Solomon, who was the wisest person to ever walk the face of the planet. He's saying this, I put my mind to knowing everything. Now, the end result of knowing everything was simply this. Get this. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are what, church? Meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now, skip down to verse 16. I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned this too is a what? Chasing after the wind. So what he's saying here is this, I've gotten smart, I've gotten wise, I know more than everybody, and what I've learned is that it's meaningless. I still can't find my purpose. So I've got to find purpose and I've got to find happiness somewhere else. Go to chapter 2, verse 1. Here's where we begin to lay things out for us, and this is going to be something that is very relatable to each one of us this morning. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, and he makes a statement I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. So he begins to take upon himself what we call a hedonistic approach, meaning my life is about enjoyment. My life is that I deserve to be, you know what I'm about to say, right? Happy. You ever heard anybody say that? We've all said that at some point. I deserve this. I deserve to be happy. And so the king, the wisest man on the planet, he comes up and he says, 
Wisdom hadn't done it for me, but I deserve to be happy. So I'm going to test out my purpose by experiencing pleasure. All right. Now this is where we see him saying, I did this and don't do it. He already gives us the answer. Go to the last part of verse 1. But that also proved to be what? Meaningless, futile. Then he goes to verse 2. He makes his statement. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? Again, this is not going to give you purpose. Don't do it. Great advice, right? Because I've tried it. But then he lays out the things that he tried. And I want you to see if you can have any relatability here. Now, as a huge fan of Looney Tune cartoons, any of y'all with me? One of the things I remember in all these episodes is at some point the character would find themselves in the desert. And they would see a mirage in the horizon. You know what I'm talking about, right? And those mirages, they had the palm trees and the bushes and the water. And they run towards it. And for some reason in cartoons, everybody put their hands together like we were praying. And that's how they would jump, right? And they jumped into the water. And what was it? Just complete sand. And even here, on a hot day in Georgia, we'll drive down the road. And up on the horizon, you'll see what looks like a mud puddle. And it ends up being just the sun reflecting off the asphalt, correct? It's a mirage. And what's happening here is he's basically saying he's chased after mirage and found that there was nothing there. Here's my question as we begin this journey this morning. How many of us have chased after mirages and found that we we find ourselves completely unfulfilled? Y'all been there, right? Completely. This is empty. Nothing happens. So he goes to verse 3 and he begins to outline some of the mirages that he chases. He says, I tried cheering myself He says, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their life. Now, I want you to really understand what's happening here. I really want you to focus in, not on I tried cheering myself with wine, but I want you to get embracing my folly. Do you see that? Embracing my folly, my mind was still guiding me with wisdom. What he's saying here is this. I made the conscious decision to be stupid. You ever done that? Everybody say yes. You've done that. I made the conscious decision to be stupid, to be crazy, to let my hair down, to get drunk, and by making that conscious decision to try to separate myself from reality, I find that in the moment there's pleasure, but in the long run there's not. You see that? How many of us have tried to separate ourselves from that type of reality? Most of us. Is that I'm going to be crazy, I'm going to be stupid, I'm going to be the life of the party, it's going to be fun, you know, all that stuff. And when I get to the end of it, it's utterly futile because I still don't have purpose. Utterly meaningless. It's just a very, very bad band-aid. Then he continues to go on a little further and he says this. Go to, keep, keep reading with me. He goes to chapter, uh, chapter 4. He says, I undertook great projects. Now look at his projects here. Don't don't go past the punctuation, colon. I built houses for myself and I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water the groves of flourishing trees. Now let's stop here. Let's start start back at the beginning, verse 4. Go in a little bit more detail in the 11 o'clock service, but I really want you to see the totality of here. He's building his kingdom and he thinks if I build my kingdom... I'll have purpose, I'll have joy, I'll have happiness. And he says, I undertook great projects, so I'm going to have purpose in this projects, and I built myself houses, not just house, houses. 
And if we know anything about Solomon and the kings that day and age, they had a summer home, a winter home, a palace. They had everything under the sun they could possibly have. And he goes on to say, and I planted vineyards. It's not just I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards to provide for myself. I had the greatest vineyards that produced all the luxuries and all the delicacies I could have ever wanted. And then beyond that, I made gardens to where I could walk around and enjoy nature and parks where other people come. And I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. In order to provide for that, I made big reservoirs to where it would water everything. I have not just a house. I don't have my acre lot. I have an estate. In fact, keeping up with the Joneses was not this guy's problem because he was the Joneses. Got it? He built his kingdom. Then he goes on a little further. Y'all ever done that, by the way? I mean, there's some of us. I remember a friend of mine. I don't know if any of you guys can relate to this. My, my yard is my kingdom. And I wanted to respond to him as because inside the house is your wife's. <laughs> And it's like the man, per, I mean, some of us, we, we, we exist in this whole place of I've got to have the yard of the month, you know, or I've got to have the, the, the good housekeeping award. And others of us in this room are just trying to keep our heads above water, above water not kill the kids, right? But, but some of us, you know, it's, this is the deal. This is my kingdom. This is what I'm about. Now read a little further. This is really going to come close to home here now. Verse 7, I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. If I can control the people around me to make me happy, then I'll have happiness. Now, let me, let me just, let, let's contextualize this in 2018. If everyone in my home, if everyone in my workplace just did the what I wanted them to do, everything would be great. Y'all been there? Oh, man, for real, y'all are control freaks. You know you do it. If everybody would just do what I say, one of the things in our home that we say a lot, if you just put the stuff back in its place, y'all ever do that? If everything just went according to plan, the way I wanted it to go, and y'all would do what I say, everything would be great. It's the whole controlling thing, right? If It would just work out that way. He goes on a little further here. Verse 7, continue to read. I also own more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I've got stuff and more stuff. This is the guy who was the first in line for the new iPhone. This is the guy who had all the updated stuff. He was the first guy on your, in your neighborhood who had a plasma TV or a flat screen TV. He's got the newest of everything, stuff, 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 and more stuff. We've got more stuff in the United States. We spend more money to put stuff in storage than most countries have in their entire economy. You know what a basement is? A mortgage storage facility. <laughs> it's just the stuff, the more stuff is going to make me happy. And then he goes on to say a little bit further here. I amass silver and gold for myself and the, and the treasures of kings and provinces. And what he's going to here is like, I got money and I got money and I got more money. And that makes me happy. But nope. Then he says two more things here. Because I want you to understand the degrees of where he's going to. He started at the top. You remember that? I'm going to make a conscious decision to be stupid. Then he goes on a little further, and he says, I'm going to build the kingdom. I'm going to be the Joneses. Then he goes, I'm going to control people, and now I've got more stuff and more stuff, and now I've got more wealth and more wealth. And then he goes on to another facet here. And I want you to read this. I acquired male and female singers. So if I can have the arts around me, if I can have entertainment, that's a big part of our lives, is it not? 
I mean, just this, it, it, this would be a neat little uh, research project for River Hills Church. If we went through our iPhone or our smartphone, if you're a Christian, you have an iPhone, but we'll keep going. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> that was for you. <laughs> How many of these apps entertain us? Think through that for a second. A lot, probably. How much time do we want to just separate ourselves from reality just by being entertained? Not wrong to be entertained. But he's saying, I've got the latest music, I've seen the most movies, and I could get all the Trivial Pursuit questions right in the arts and entertainment category. Right? But it's still not enough. Then he takes it a step further. Then he goes to the extreme here. It's a bit graphic, but you need to see what's happening here. He says, have a harem. Let's go back to verse 8. Notice what he says. And a harem as well delights of the man's heart. And what he means here is Solomon had about 700 concubines and about that many wives. And sensuality, sex became such an important part of his life to find happiness, but in the end it never, ever gave him satisfaction. The degrees of pleasure that he's chased after are extraordinary, going from one extreme to the next. And at the end of it, he says this. Let's go to verse verse 9, get what happens here. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and all my wisdom stayed with me. And he says this in verse 10. And I want you to hear this. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. But yet, when I surveyed all my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was what? Meaningless. Have you ever, have I ever, have we ever strived for joy and happiness only to get to the end of it and say, I still feel empty? You've been there, right? But then he goes to another level here. So pleasure, hedonism, is not the pursuit. It's not going to give him anything. So what he decides to do is become a workaholic. I want to find purpose in what I do for a living. I want to find purpose in my job. And he says this, when I turn to other th- to consider wisdom, my thoughts, in verse 12, then I turn my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. And what he's saying here is, I began to evaluate the wise and what they do and those who aren't wise, the, those who are in folly and what they do. And he says this, I saw that wisdom is better than folly just as light is better than the darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks around in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. And what he's saying here is he's learned. Whether he has this great estate or he's homeless, at the end, both die. And his point is this. Even though he was a workaholic, for the man that was a sluggard, at the end of the day, death comes to them both. Right? And so he comes to the conclusion with this, and he says this. Everything, go to verse 16. For the wise like the fool will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. It was meaningless. When I was uh, 15 or 16 years old, my aunt passed away, and she was like a second mom to me. And I'll never forget as we went into her home, and um, she was single her entire life, and we began to unload the things in her house and go through that whole process, which is very difficult uh, I remember coming across her college diploma. There was an older gentleman with us that we had 
come along with us to help us unload the house. And he sat with me, and I found this college diploma. It was my aunt's. And he says, oh, man, that is important. She worked hard for that. That's a huge deal. Don't get rid of that. That'll get you far in life. And my thought, even in 15 years old, was simply this. It means nothing now because she's passed away. It's a wonderful keepsake. And I say that to illustrate this point is that all the strivings, all the work, and all the success that we bring upon ourselves in the end is not what counts. And he figured it out. But then there was a last point here. And I want you to get this. Go to verse 17. He said, so after doing all this, I hated life. Well, I would too, wouldn't you? And I bet you feel incredibly encouraged in church this morning. Everything I'm doing is just meaningless, Chip. Well, maybe. (laughs) So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of its meaning is to chase it after the wind. I hated all things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. So his direction was this. If I work, then I'm going to die, but I can at least leave it to my family. I can at least leave it to those who are my kids or give an inheritance to someone. And he came to realize, verse 19, and who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Meaning, if I'm going to hand over the family business, how am I know they're going to run it well? I can't even control that. All I've worked for, and we've heard those stories before, right? The people who were given much and lost everything. And that's what he's worried about here. And he comes to the end of that whole thought process. And he says simply this, verse 23, All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is what? Meaningless. So how in the world are you and I going to find joy? All these pursuits. Because guys, it's not wrong to enjoy life. In fact, I think it's paramount for your spiritual development. It's not wrong to work hard. I believe one of the things I tell my kids every day, love Jesus, have integrity, and work hard. It's not, it's not wrong to want to leave a legacy. In fact, that's biblical. Y'all know that, right? An inheritance of a legacy, that's very biblical. But to find joy in the midst of knowing if what's, not knowing what's going to happen with it is rough. It's discouraging. And in fact, it's a bit meaningless. So how do we find that? And here's what I want you to understand. We gain joy by finding joy in knowing that simplicity satisfies. Simplicity satisfies. Write that down. Now, let me help you understand what I mean by that. Because this is all wrapped up in a Godward perspective. And we'll get this. I want you to notice how he begins to kind of sum this chapter up. Because he gives a, a brief peek into chapter 12 where he finishes this entire book. And he says this, A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of whom? God. Now, do you see that? This is important. Don't, don't, don't read past that. And that comma is very important there as we come to it in just a moment. But he's saying a person can do nothing better than finding satisfaction in what God provides. You see that? So whether it's a morsel or a feast, finding satisfaction in God's provision is enough to keep you happy. But then he goes on. Don't forget that comma. Verse 25. He says, for without him, who can eat or find what? Enjoyment. Now, I believe scripturally, as I read the Bible and understand it and try to apply it to my life, the greatest purpose that you can have for your your life is to enjoy God. 
to sit in his presence, and I'm not talking about in a worship service, but to find contentment, to find satisfaction in who God is, is the greatest way to experience permanent joy. My wife and I have been together, been married 18 years, going to be 19 next year. We've been together, I guess, 20 years total, right? 20, 21, 22. It's awesome years. And so, um, and so all that time, I mean, I love her. I mean, now we don't like each other all the time. That's called marriage, all right? But we love each other. And just to be in her presence sometimes is great. It's just to sit there and not even say anything. But, but, but if you were able to transition that to something that's more permanent, to something that God does to sit in his presence, the guy who created enjoyment, the guy who created the things to, to enjoy in life, imagine how much more fulfilling that would be. You follow me on that? God created you to, be, to glorify him by enjoying him and being satisfied in him. So there's two things we extract from this text. And the first thing is this, God provides. We have sustained simplicity that's satisfied when we recognize that God provides. Go back to the text. A person can do nothing better than to eat, drink, and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? God's provision is always enough. It's always enough. But the second facet to this is that God satisfies. You need to understand that. All these things he's pursuing. And this is the thing that scares a lot of people off about Christianity. Is it, is it going to satisfy me? You know what I'm talking about? Y'all have done that before, right? Is it going to call me to a different level? Yes. Is it going to make you uncomfortable 100%? But is it going to satisfy me? Is, am I, I going to have to, I've heard this a million times. And I, w- I want to ask you this question. Have you ever had this thought process as well? Is it going to make me quit enjoying my life? Y'all thought that before? Is it going to stop me from really experiencing all these fun times I'm having? And the answer to that is going to give you more. Because it's it's the soul-satisfying, enjoyment-giving, joy-creating God that speaks into your life now. Not all this other stuff that we dealt with, right? The, 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 The conscious stupidity, right? The keep it up with the Joneses so you become Jones. The wealth, the sensuality, the artistic stuff, all that stuff. He's saying, I'll give you more. It's the satisfaction. You see, Christ isn't just your Savior. He's your satisfier. Now grab hold of that with both hands and never let go of it. Christ isn't just your Savior. He's your satisfier. So that when you do experience the pleasures, it's God satisfying you through those sunsets, through those warm ocean breezes. Through those incredible laughters of your children. It's that God-satisfying presence through that. And that's not meaningless. That's not futility. I want you to look a little further. See how much time we got. Thank you. And this is the key. To the person who pleases him, God gives what? Wisdom, knowledge, what's that last word? Happiness. Now look at the contrast between the two. When we pursue this, it's meaningless. When we're pleasing God, knowledge, wisdom, and what? Happiness. 
Is that what you want? Is that what I want? But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth only to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is a meaningless as chasing after the wind. So here's the reality. Okay, I'm going to try to illustrate this the best I can. I, wanna, I really want us to just dwell on this point for a moment. Now, I had this bucket in the back of my truck all night. And I say this because my brother tore, told me a horrible Halloween prank. But I want to encourage you to do it to those you love most. Somebody got a styrofoam cooler and got a rubber snake and tied a fishing line to one end of the snake and the other to the bottom of the top of that cooler and invite people to get drinks. So when they pull the thing up, the snake pops out. I say that to say I don't like snakes and I hope none, nothing got in this cooler or in this bucket last night. And if there is something in here, we're going to have a snake handling service without your pastor. <laughs> but here's what I want you to understand here. Here's what I want you to get. When we begin to follow, follow this whole process of, of finding pleasure, now think through this for a moment, because we've all chased this, right? Well, if I can have conscious stupidity, maybe that'll make me happy. And we get addicted to that, and there's no joy. You with me on this so far? It's like, well, maybe I can get more stuff. I'm going to build my kingdom. And you build your kingdom, you get dead up to your eyeballs, or you have to maintain that kingdom. Instead of bringing joy, the chains continue to come on, right? Well, maybe I can have some pleasure in, in my entertainment. Maybe I'll be able to find some type of pleasure in what I listen to or what I watch, and maybe that'll get away from the world. And Instead of getting me away from uh, reality, it sucks us anymore. that become the chain, right? Y'all with me so far? Then there's wealth. Then there's that whole idea of sensuality, and this is a big chain in our world today. You know, guys, I'm just going to be straight up with you. There's about three out of five of you in this room. For every five dudes in this room, three of you are addicted to pornography. You know how bad that chain is? That is life-ruining, family-destroying family, family chains. And if you've got a problem with it, let's, get, let's, let's deal with it. You're not alone. All right, that was a soapbox. But that's a serious chain, right? Then we have these other chains. Is that... I'm going to pursue legacy, and I'm going to be a workaholic. And to the very end, instead of finding joy in what God has given me, I'm trying to maintain these right here. And all it does is weigh me down. And if this bucket represents my life, what is it? It's completely empty. There's nothing left for us. But here's what's so fascinating about Scripture. And this is what God gives us in the gospel-driven world is that Jesus makes this statement. You see, he, God provides and God satisfies, but this is how you get to that place. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus makes this statement. He, he says this. He says, he says, those who are weary and heavy laden, those of you who are burdened, those of you who have chains on their life, he says, come to me and I will give you what? Rest. But I want you to look at that verse. This is a statement from Jesus. He says, what? First of all, you've got to come to him, right? Better know Christ. If you're burdened, if these chains are wearing you out and you can't find joy, hand it over to him. And what does he do? He gives you rest. And the rest is there is a providing satisfaction of joy that you don't have to work for anymore. Our God is a chain breaker. And what's so fascinating about this cross that we have 
highlighted in our service week in and week out, and it's there for a purpose. That cross is empty because Jesus is alive. We celebrate that, but that cross has taken away the chains so that when Jesus rose from the dead, the chains went away. They're broken. Christ is a chain breaker. And regardless of what pleasure you've tried to find joy in or what legacy you want to leave that you feel solely discouraged about or what work that you try to find purpose in, you're never going to get it until Christ breaks these chains and gives you the satisfaction and enjoyment of knowing him. It's not going to happen. The joy won't be as deep. So here's my question. What chains need to be broken? For those of you who don't know Jesus, the chain is this. You're shackled with sin, and you can't get to heaven unless you're forgiven. For those of you who do know Jesus, we go back to the bucket to pull out the chain to somehow give us hope, and it continues to burden us. Y'all with me on that? You with me on that, church person? Do it all the time, don't we? So what needs to be broken? I want to give you some homework this week, and the first one is simply this. I want you to go go home and at some point during this week, analyze your life. And what I mean by that, think about the chains in your life and how you're going to break them, how Jesus needs to break them. You follow that? What are some of those chains? What are you chained to? Is it your iPhone? Is it social media? Is it a person? Is it a pursuit? But analyze your life and figure out what needs to be broken. But also not only give you homework, I want to give you a secret to joy. Are y'all ready for that? The secret to joy is found here. Verse 26. To the person who what? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. The secret to joy is to please God, not yourself. Y'all with me on that, right? Because if the founder and creator of joy pleased, then we would in in turn be joyful, right? Wisdom, knowledge, and joy. Happiness when we choose to please Him. This morning, if you're here and you've never asked Christ to come into your life, He's never broken those chains, I'm going to give you two ways to know Him. One, on the Connect card you were given, there's a box that says, Today I need to know Jesus. I'll also be standing off to my right, to your left, and if you need Christ, I'd love to talk with you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. For the rest of us in this room, and all of us have these chains, we need to begin to dissect and analyze how these chains need to be broken and what we're willing to do to hand it over to God to do it. And so what I want to encourage you to do, if you need help breaking some chains, there's a box on your Connect card that says, I need a phone call from the pastor, and if that's you, check that box, or maybe you need to meet me down here, let me pray with you for a minute, and let's start the process of that journey of seeing God tear away some chains. But let's begin to see the king of the world be who he says he is. He is a chain breaker. Y'all feel me on that? Let's begin to walk through that process. Father, we love you, and we ask God that in this moment that you would begin to change us. Lord, we are chained to so many things that are not of you. We are chained to so many things that don't bring us joy. And I pray, God, that in these moments as we look at this empty cross and we look at these chains laying on the ground, that, Lord, we would know that we are free, that we have been given life, and that you have totally redeemed us. And so, God, work in us today. Overwhelm us today. Fill us with your presence today. 
and break the chains in our lives that hold us back from experiencing truth. Don't let us be futile in our thinking. Don't let us be futile in the way we live our lives, but let us experience more of you because you are the king of creation. You are the creator of joy. You are the all-satisfying, providing God. Thank you, Christ, for doing that. Work in us. In Jesus' name we pray.